A Tiny Revolution features adults having adult conversations, which means that adult language is probably going to be present, just so you know. A Tiny Revolution, a podcast about ordinary people living revolutionary lives. My name is Kevin Garcia. Welcome to episode 80. And y'all, happy Christmas, happy New Year's. I was gone last week because I was with my cousins and my babies and my nieces and nephews and all that stuff. And I'm sure that you were doing the same. So I thought I'd come to you on a Monday rather than on Wednesday because I have got um, the literal, like, podcast guest of my dreams and Nadia, if you're listening to this, yes, I have a completely uh, professional, platonic, um, mildly romantic crush on you. Don't worry, nothing weird, because, um, you know, you got a bae, and I've got myself, so we're all just living our lives here. Anyways, um, before we play that amazing interview, um, I needed to share with you a couple of things. A, today, if you're listening to this on the 31st of December, New Year's Eve, Today is the day that me and Donnie, my friend and partner in crime, launched the Kickstarter for Queerly Beloved Tees. Yes, we're becoming our own business, our own entity. It's taking off, and basically, we need your help to get it going. So if you go right now, there's going to be a link in the show notes as well as over um, on my blog and all over my social media. Go click that link. Go check out our Kickstarters or just search Queerly Beloved Tees on Kickstarter. You'll find our Kickstarter, and we're looking to raise $4,000 in 30 days. I think it's more than possible. That is, like, literally everyone who listens to this podcast giving, like, what, three, four, five bucks, something like that. Um, not to mention there are great gifts that go and rewards for going along with, like, with uh, actual stickers, uh, shirts that are coming out from our line, which is some of our more beloved designs, and also some of our brand new designs, including hoodies and crew neck sweaters. I am I'm beyond thrilled um, that this is happening, and it's going to cause a few things to happen. A, cheaper and better merchandise. The quality is going up. We're going to be able to charge less because uh, we don't have to cover the overhead that we had to with um, with the other organ or the other third party services we've used before. Um, we're going to get better interaction with people who are purchasing our products. So that means that you and me and and everybody else we we get to actually like get to know each other a little bit better. Uh, I mean, there's, it's really just a fantastic situation. So please do me a favor. Go back the Kickstarter today. And best part, if you're going to the Q Christian Fellowship Conference, which is taking place in Chicago um, in next week, I think. Yeah, next Thursday. You can actually pick up your rewards in person at the Q Christian Fellowship Conference. And um, if we happen to sell it out of our merchandise, then we promise we'll get it to you by February when we do another run of shirts. So go ahead and... Um, get it done go over to all my social media do that thank you in uh ahead of time for your support you are amazing um and also if you're listening to this on the, the 31st of january this is the last day that you can register for q christian uh for online registration i believe you can register in person don't quote me on that send them an email if you have a question um, i'm excited uh for it i am doing a whole lot of stuff at q christian i'm helping lead worship um Friday at 12.30, I am going to be doing my podcast live 
at um, Q Christian featuring my friends uh, uh, Matthias Roberts, Caitlin J. Stout, and Grayson Hester. We're going to be giving some decent advice. And then my special guests, Lisa and Michael Gunger, are joining me on stage to talk about their books and writing and becoming, all sorts of stuff. It's going to be an incredibly fun time, and I hope that you'll join us for that. Uh, and then on Saturday, I am going to be on a sexual ethics panel with the executive leadership team at 3 o'clock. And then finally, my last um, presentation is going to be called Let's Talk About Sexual Ethics. And it's going to be a workshop on helping form your own sexual ethics and doing a little bit of desire mapping, figuring out what you want um, and how to do it from a way that is still holding scripture in high regard and being true to what God is doing in you. It's going to be so fantastic. So I hope you'll join me for that as well. All that information is over on my website, as well as over on uh, the Q Christian website. You can get registered at qchristian.org. I'll see you in Chicago. And if you wouldn't... Okay, one more thing, and then we'll get into the conversation. Do me a favor. Go follow Queerly Beloved Tees on all social media. You can find it. I've tagged it a few times on Instagram. It's definitely... You search Queerly Beloved Tees on the freaking Facebook. And yeah, I cannot wait to see y'all there. It's going to be so fun. Okay. Now that I have gooped and gabbed about all these things, I just want to say I am gooped and gagged that um, the Reverend and Pastor Nadia Boltzweber uh, came on my show. Um, I think she's a lovely and amazing human. Her work has done so much for me. And I'm so glad that I went through 2018 just asking for what I want because I can't think of a better way to close out this year and like 80 episodes of A Tiny Revolution with... Nadia Bolsweber. She's an incredible woman and uh, writer and pastor. And she's coming out with a new book very soon uh, called Shameless, Sex- A Sexual Reformation, where we're tackling purity culture and sex and why we're, as Christians, we're so afraid of it. And as you know, as somebody who wants to be a sex educator and pastor myself, this is literally right in my wheelhouse. A little bit about Nadia. Nadia Bolsweber first hit the New York Times bestseller list with her 2013 memoir, the bitingly honest and inspiring Pastrix, the cranky but beautiful faith of a sinner and saint, uh, followed by the critically acclaimed New York Times bestseller, Accidental Saints, in 2015, which was my introduction to her work, which was, again, phenomenal. She's a former stand-up comic and recovering alcoholic. Bowles-Weber is the founder and former pastor of a Lutheran congregation in Denver, House for All Sinners and Saints. She speaks at colleges, conferences around the globe, and is just... A phenomenal human. If you ever get to have the pleasure of sitting down and spending time in her company, I highly suggest it. Even if it's going to hear her speak, even if it's at some sort of event. And we also talk about um, being like, you know, public figures in this weird, like, you know, Christian subculture kind of world. We talk about uh, her new book. We talk about sex. Like, it's just like the, the literally everything I'm about. Um, so, yeah, I'm not going to say anything else just go ahead and grab yourself a drink of whatever you prefer and let's chill with my friend nadia boltzweber real talk when i first got started a podcast i was like i'm gonna be bold i'm gonna ask everyone and everyone to be on my podcast so like i emailed michelle and barack through their <laughs> respective websites that's awesome and got a Got a really nice rejection email from them. It was great. What more could you ask for, really? That's pretty good. I loved it. Um, so Michelle and, Ob- Michelle and Barack, if, when you listen to this recording, I'd love for you to uh, <laughs> hit me up. I feel like you've got more time on your hands now, you know, not being president at all. Yeah. I guess if someone didn't know who you are, um, the Reverend Nadia Boltzweber, 
how, what would you what would you say to them like you're at like a little social function and they say so what do you do what's your thing you seem interesting uh i would probably tell them i'm an accountant <laughs> isn't that <laughs> Roderick, Roderick put a yeah. tweet up today saying he was at a party told everyone he was an accountant and there were like zero follow-up questions so i might i might have to steal that one from my friend Roderick greer yeah i think i might too yeah. or at least just be like um i don't i don't uh i say i, I do creative work and i'm just like then then there's always some dumb question after that yeah um sweet so you're an accountant how <laughs> um but uh you've been how long have you been pastoring now for um i was probably 11 years when i left house i left in july so i yeah mm-hmm. i've been doing it for about 11 years mm-hmm what, can I ask what like prompted that transition? Yeah, for sure. Um, it literally was just this feeling like it was the right time. I mean, mm. there's, there is no dramatic backstory <laughs> mm. other than um, I had really been aware of wanting to avoid founder syndrome um, oh. since I started the church. I mean, from the very beginning. It was something that was in my peripheral vision, you know, as something to be careful of, you know, especially when you're, you kind of have a big personality and you're like the charismatic founder of a thing. Like, it's very easy to have it, um, to be too tangled up, your, your personal worth and identity too tangled up uh-huh. in the thing that you founded um, to its peril, because it's seldom true that the the person who's right to start something is also the person who's right to maintain and manage something that it's just mm. seldom the same person. Um, so anyway, it was, you know, it, it just a few things happened that felt like, Oh, I'm like, I was trying to pay attention. I went, Oh, I think that's kind of a sign that it's time, you know, that the mm. moment's passed and, and now, now is a good time to hand it over. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a long transition in a way, because Reagan, Reagan Umber, who's the, the uh, gay Episcopal priest who took over, he'd been there for over three years as the full-time clergy person while I was very part-time. And mm-hmm. he really ran the show and was in charge. I mean, we worked really, really well together, and we continued to be friends and love each other dearly. Um, but he was really the main guy for a long time. And so it was a long transition in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that allowed it to still be going strong, even after I totally stepped out of the scene. Mm. Do you miss it? I miss it desperately. Um, not that I want to still be the pastor there. I, I know that that me being in that role is done, but um, I'm actually very lonely, to be honest. Um, yeah. I, I don't have community here locally, hardly at all. I have a couple good friends, but but yeah. not community. I mean, I spent over a decade of my life building the community that I would feel the most comfortable in. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, I was successful enough in doing that that I'm no longer allowed to be there. You know, in the Lutheran oh. Church, when you when you step away from being a pastor, you don't you're done. You don't show up again, you know, at least for a year. And then it's Mm. not even a given that it would be a good idea that it would be good for me or for them. But I do anything to just sneak in the back and worship with them. Um, Mm. 
So uh, there were there are parts of it. Just regularly seeing the same people sounds so basic, but and and it's something I think I might have taken for granted to tell you the truth yeah. until it was gone. And yeah. um, now I'm really feeling it. Yeah, I miss them dearly. Mm, I'm sorry, yeah. and also thank you for sharing that. Yeah. I'm sorry if that's uh, painful to talk about. Um, um, yeah, I mean it's just real. You know, it's yeah. just I, I try and be as honest as I can about things and I mean, which is what I really appreciate it. Almost to like I'm like, I think you said this a few places before that like honest to the point where like uh I don't know, I'm like this is like being a semi internet person myself, like I experience this phenomenon of like where I'll go up to somebody at a conference or like I was at a like I was at the liturgist gathering recently, it was super duper fun. And there was this one young woman who, because she knew me from the internet, yeah. like she felt like she had a lot of, uh, uh, what's the space in like how she, how she could interact with me, yeah, or, like right. assumed yeah. ways of being in the world. And I'm just like, Oh my gosh, I love you so much. And I just want you to leave me the fuck alone. <laughs> girl. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, um... there's a difference between like the, the internet person or like public persona yeah. that we put on and like, the everyday I'm kind of the messy asshole version of myself that most people get to see. Oh, sure. I mean, look, I, I am <clears throat> in a couple weeks, I'll be on the cover of spirituality and health magazine. And literally Whoa. I flipped somebody off in traffic. Cause I was late for my yoga class today. So that's like, <laughs> I'm not kidding. I just fucking gave them, I was like, fuck you. They were, they cut me off and I sped around. I did the whole thing. You know, I did the whole thing wow. and I was driving to yoga. You know, I'm like, how, why in the world is someone like me on the cover of a spirituality <laughs> health magazine <laughs> girl you go namaste on that totally. namaste on that cover yeah so yeah i mean it's it, the public thing can be difficult and people know i'm pretty protective of myself uh when i'm mm -hmm. when i'm at a public event you know i'm i'm not a quivering mass of emotional availability um i give whatever Whoa, can i borrow that <laughs> yeah. i'm not a quivering mass of emotional availability that is a mood yeah i mean i I try, I have a commitment to try to be as emotionally present to what I'm saying when I'm on mm -hmm. stage as I possibly can. I try mm -hmm. to not be an affectation or a persona as much. I mean, of course you are mm -hmm. to an extent when you're on stage, but I, I really do try to have an emotional honesty to my presence and I can be really vulnerable and, um, and that's what I have to offer. I have that to mm -hmm. offer to a whole group. And I have that who come to see me. And I feel like they deserve that from me. And I have whatever I've written in my books or done in my videos to offer. And then mm -hmm. that's it. I don't, you know, I, I can't do a one-on-one -on -one Q and A after 45 minutes mm -hmm. of doing it with 900 people. And, you know, mm -hmm. I've been slagged off online for, for not, for not, you know, showing interest in the, and in like the being stories like... of everyone whose book I'm signing. And, and like, I just, I can't, like I gave what I had. And first, mm -hmm. and a lot of people, they take that, they're grateful. They'll talk to their friends about whatever came up for them. But some people, it feels as though almost like there's, there's so much transference mm -hmm. um, when you're a public person and it, nobody phones you up 
when you start becoming a public person to tell you how to manage it, you know, and, mm. and we're all wired differently. You know, the first time when, when I very first started being asked to speak places, it was probably, I don't know, 2006 or 2007 or something. And, um, and I, uh, Phyllis Tickle, God rest her soul and Brian McLaren mm-hmm. kind of took me under their wing a little bit mm-hmm. and they, they were available for me to sort of ask questions of them and to get some guidance, which I'll always be grateful. And right. um, I watched how they were when they were at public events. And they're, they're, they were both just the picture of graciousness. You know, they would ask mm. people about themselves and they had this warmth to them. And, it, and it's really beautiful to see, right? And I thought, mm-hmm. oh, my God, I want to be like that. And so for about a year, year and a half, I answered every email that came to me from strangers. Ooh. I really tried to be like them. And and I was miserable and exhausted. And uh, my mm-hmm. spiritual director was like, Nadia, never in all this time I've known you have I known you to try to be like someone other than yourself. What? Stop. Right. You're not them. You're not wired nope. the same as them. You're, you will nope. never be like them, and that's okay. And don't feel like you have to meet this standard of people who have a very different personality. And um, that was really helpful, you know. So, But also, I have to say, um, my life has changed a lot in the past few years. And um, I know that I hear a lot of people talk about self-care, about setting up boundaries um, mm-hmm. And I think all of that's excellent. I hear nobody talking about reassessing those boundaries to know, do you still need them? So mm. I have realized there, there were some things I needed in place to really protect myself in public when I was on the road. And I've realized mm-hmm. I just don't need the same things anymore. I'm, I'm very, uh, just being in a very loving relationship, uh, has softened me in a lot of ways and I feel safer in the world in a sense and because I'm well loved and so for instance just recently the past few months I've started going out when the audience is kind of being seated and stuff and just talking to people and they can get their Mm. picture or you know come say hi give me a hug and I don't feel exhausted by that now I can't do it afterwards after I speak I am an exposed nerve I, I, my anxiety starts ticking up from the second I, I walk off stage till the second I get to my hotel room. So I can mm. sign books, but I cannot engage with, I cannot process with people their reactions to what I just did. Like I, I can't mm. do it. I, I can't take on their that. like, I went, I'm in seminary because of you, like all of that. I can't do it. I'm in a, I, 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 I have nothing left. And mm-hmm. so that's still true, but I've been going out and interacting with people before and I'm fine. And that's something that wouldn't have been good for me a couple of years ago. So I think as we talk about self-care and we talk about boundaries, let that be part of the conversation too, to know that Mm -hmm. another form of self-care is knowing when you've put up a protection that you don't need anymore. Right. You know? And I think that's, and I think there's also just like the, the reassessing self-care because so many people, because like what you need in one season of life is not going to be the same in the next Correct. season of life. So like, like for example, like there are people who say like you know I can't do X right now right. because of self care. But just like you know, two years down the line, like right now, 
I'm saying no to a lot of like people's like, Hey, do you want to be on this committee or this project or whatever? Yeah. I'm like, no, I can't. I'm in seminary and I'm yeah. launching a business and I'm trying to get more speaking gigs myself. And I'm just like, I can't. And all, <laughs> man, yeah, yeah, yeah. The life. <laughs> I went to, uh, over the summer, I went to this cute little, uh, disciples of christ youth camp and i was told that like we want you to come in and like do this talk on this one day and so i was going to come there for the beginning of the week do this talk stay the evening and then head back to uh atlanta and this lovely woman calls me the day before and said hey one of our counselors just dropped do you want to be a camp counselor oh good lord wow and i'm like and i'm like (laughs) you sure you ain't got nobody else i'm like uh She's like, no, not really. But I know like this is totally weird. I'm like, what the hell? Let's just do it. And so I got to be a camp counselor this summer and it was so fun. Right, like, totally. My extra, my extrovert, um, not to mention like, I think this was the first time like they ever had like a queer person show oh, up yeah, to their camp. Sure, yeah. And yeah. I had like a dozen kids come out to me after that. I'm like, oh my yeah, God. Of course. Baby. Of course. It's, it's, the, it's the best. And I think it's, also, it's a little weird being like, I'm, I always... Not always, but I tend to be the person who's like pushing the boundaries, mm. whatever space I'm in, and uh, get, you know, I, I don't know if you ever like. I am sure. Do you? I assume you don't do this. You don't like really like watch your tone or do, like you, what you're saying based on your space because you don't mm. want to ruffle feathers or you just like fuck it. I'm gonna say. I don't do a, a lot of that no. But I but mm. I have a disclaimer at the beginning. I just say, look, I I don't curate a certain version of myself. I think different groups would be more comfortable with. It's exhausting. I'd get it wrong. Mm-hmm. I just have a commitment to be me, and um, and that means you might hear some language, you know, that you're you not used to hearing in church. Uh, I don't know. I don't go to your church, but I'm assuming uh, mm-hmm. you'll be fine. You know, I just then then I just go, like you'll be okay. But no, it's too exhausting to do that. I mean, I I I probably shift uh, slightly, but but that would be the extent of it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So shifting shifting gears a little bit, um, you are the author of two fantastic books, going on three fantastic books. Not that not that the reviews are out yet, but I've just I've heard rumblings that it's a pretty dope book. Um, and I wondered if, uh, if you wanted to like give a little synopsis of Shameless and the Genesis, cause I remember talking to you about this, like way back at Wild Goose, like two years yeah. ago. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, it came out of my own experience. You know, I was raised obviously very, very fundamentalist Christian with all the crazy mm-hmm. shit about gender roles Mm -hmm. and sex and pre you know extramarital sex and all that but it was before the purity movement you know but um Mm -hmm. i was raised with all that rejected it you know led Mm -hmm. this very different life but then i i discovered the lutheran church and you know the elca is one of the most progressive denominations in the country Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. and yet uh, there is a document you have to sign when you're ordained called Visions and Expectations that says mm. that you you would be faithful in marriage, or I think it's celibate or chaste in singleness. Well, chaste. The, um, yeah, cute. the origin of this document was it was originally sort of forged through the denomination by a group that was trying to keep the homosexuals out of the pulpit, right? So it was a way of, <laughs> it really was a way of keeping the homos down. And so- Mm-hmm. because you would have to be 
celibate in your singleness and gay people couldn't get married, you know, and then that shifted and then they're like, oh shit. Right. But anyway, I had to, everybody has to sign this and it's insane because what happens is there are all these people who get married right out of seminary because they can't afford to live separately. You know, they need to, they need to live in intern housing. And so they get Mm -hmm. married sooner than they should, or they have, sexual relationships that they are forced to keep secret or not be honest about, or Mm -hmm. they are completely repressed. And we have, you know, single uh, grown ass adults who don't have, who are not flourishing in their sexual lives because the church Mm -hmm. says they shouldn't. So none of those things are great, really. And, um, and so, you know, I was, um, my ex-husband is a good man who would who is in no way deserving of me ever saying anything um, negative about him. He's a great guy, but we never connected. Like there was no intimacy in our marriage, and mm-hmm. for whatever reason, it just didn't happen for us. And so, um, you know, people are like, "Wow, you don't do CrossFit anymore?" I'm like, "I was doing CrossFit because I wasn't having sex." You know what I mean? Like it was just a way of like no. managing. And now I'm like all soft and I got long hair and I'm so much happier, you know? Uh, but, um, <laughs> yes. So what happened was, uh, you know, I, I get divorced, like the most amicable divorce you can imagine. No lawyers, no acrimony. It was great. Mm. Right. It was actually really lovely. Um, but I, I, I get together with my boyfriend um, and start having sex. And it was like, holy shit. I was like, it felt like an exfoliation Mm -hmm. of my whole spirit. I'm like, this is so good for my brain chemistry and my body and Mm -hmm. my heart. And my, I'm like, fuck man, why in the world would the church say, don't do this? Like I could tell it was what I needed and and it was so good. And Mm -hmm. then 10 days later, after we get, we get together uh, we've been together before, by the way. We were together in 93, 94. But anyway, um, so 10 days later, I have to go to Europe for three and a half weeks on a book tour because the UK mm-hmm. and the German edition of my book came out. So I was in England and France and Germany for three and a half weeks after, mm-hmm. you know, years of sexlessness and 10 days of having sex, right? I was like, my mind was like mm-hmm. swirling. I was like, what the fuck is happening? And so... <laughs> I started, I was supposed to be writing a different book. I was supposed to be writing, you know, those children's illustrated Bibles, you know, pictures of Jesus, little synopsis. I was, I was supposed to be writing one for grownups. Like, yeah, like my snarky retelling of Bible stories with some great illustrations. Um, Yeah, I might still do it, but my heart wasn't in, like there was no passion. I was doing it because I was under contract to do it. You know what I mean? And then- This happens. I'm walking down the street in London. I think Jess Cast was with me, to tell you the truth. And she was on tour with me for 10 days. Um, We just cried and ate. We'd just both gotten divorced, and we were, like, insane. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so for 10 days, we tramped around England and Scotland eating and crying. (laughs) That sounds literally like Yeah, it was pretty awesome. And so I was like, wait a minute. Why did the church make me sign that thing? It makes no, how is it better for my church if I'm not getting mm. laid? I mean, to be a, hey, look, look, 
the church will entrust me with the care of souls and will not entrust me with my own grown ass woman sexuality, like to make Ooh. good decisions for myself. Now, like, mm-hmm. don't fuck the flock. Clearly, I get that part. I mean, that's a good correct. Rule, like generally, but like, I'm like, what the fuck? So I, I, I message, uh, I uh, WhatsApp Eric, my boyfriend, and I'm like, can you jump on Skype? And granted, this was with an unwarranted urgency, right? But I'm oh, like gosh. going. I, he gets on Skype now. He is. He's not Christian. He's never been Christian. And I go, mm-hmm. why do you think that the church has tried to control sex for so long? And without skipping a beat, my beloved said, um, I guess I always assumed that the church saw sex as its competition. Oh, fuck. Yeah. And I went, wow. Oh, I'm right. I was like, I'm writing a book. Damn. Now that's an yeah. origin story right there. Yeah. Yeah. And so I obsessed with, about it for a year and a half, two years, something like that. Mm-hmm. And, um, interviewed my parishioners just saying what message did you receive about sex in the body from the church and then in gender and how did that message affect you and how have you navigated your adult life and then I just I tell really very personal stories from my own life and I tell stories from other people's lives and um, as a way of going here's the harm Mm-hmm. here's the harm that these teachings have directly caused these people, myself and these people. Mm-hmm. And if the teachings of the church are harming people, mm-hmm. we need to rethink those teachings. We should never be more loyal to a, an idea or a doctrine or an interpretation of a Bible verse than we are to people. So that's the premise of the book. Yeah. Ugh, damn. I'm going to hang up now. Cause I just got slain. Jesus. <laughs> no, but you're so right. Like, I remember when I, um, like my, my, my former partner and I, we started, uh, I mean like first, first date, like we slept in the same bed. We didn't have sex the first, on the first date because I'm a good Christian woman, but second, yes. date, <laughs> listen, second date onward, honey, it was on and yeah, on. And it was right. And like, I, I learned things about myself that I wouldn't have ever known how I had. So like, you know, like the way that I totally. like viewed my body, the way that yeah. like, yeah. um, I viewed like my gender, um, what I, yeah, like it's, it's astounding to me, not to mention just like that brought out like, like certain trauma that I have from my past that I hadn't dealt with. And I wouldn't have known that it was still subconscious if I wasn't vulnerable enough uh, with another person with my body. Right. That's right. Yeah, totally. Totally. And I mean, I, I think it's just, um, I think that we can have brave, conversations about Mm -hmm. all of this and allow people to figure out how to make good choices for themselves yeah because i think there's also like this like critique from conservatives saying i mean what's so interesting too about being someone who is very sex positive and somebody who is like pro non-monogamy if you want to go in that direction Mm -hmm. i i the thing in the back of my mind that's playing is like as holy crap i'm playing into every single stereotype that they told me would happen when Mm -hmm. i came out like mm. gay people, all they do is have sex with a bunch of people and have orgies. Mm. And I'm like, man, I feel like in some ways, like I play into those stereotypes. Like I am fulfilling mm. the sin that they said I would. But at the same <laughs> time, it's like, I I don't want them controlling my narrative anymore. Yeah, um, right. And I think that's where right. like a lot of people, they're still trying to play on the same playing field as, as evangelical, like uh, purity culture theology. And that's really mm-hmm. where I think that the conversations need to start shifting is that like, if we really want to rethink what we think about queer folks, women, people of color, 
like if we're deconstructing this, then the next the next horizon is sex, marriage, and yeah. relationship structures. Because, but then again, like then who's controlling that narrative? Because mm-hmm. I think also, you know, what I've seen in the queer community is to be like, well, to be really queer, then you you have to be polyamorous because being monogamous is mm-hmm. heteronormative. Well, then who's controlling that narrative? Is it the individual, or is it another? seen with their own expectations mm-hmm. of what it looks like to be good right so yeah um i you know that's part of the conversation for me as well i mean i am i am completely wired as a monogamous person it's not an ethic it's right. literally just my wiring like that thing mm-hmm. my sexuality is ignited and and sort of lit up Mm-hmm. through this chemical response to one other person i like i can't make that happen mm-hmm. uh in w- in a different context with another person like i it literally it would feel i would just start giggling like it's just not i can't <laughs> do it it doesn't right. it doesn't happen ironically so, like if i'm ever having sex with multiple people i am also giggling but in a different way you're also giggling. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's not it it's just you know it's literally wiring. And yeah. so sometimes some of the normative expectations might actually suit us, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah, and I like so. to have, to have the, the actual freedom to say, no, that's good for me. And, and I've explored it and that, you know, just because it's the normative expectation that we've been handed from society to the church mm-hmm. doesn't mean you know, we de facto have to sort of reject it. Yeah. And I don't want to reject marriage as like a thing or monogamy as a thing, because I think at its, when it's practiced well and done well, like it's people flourish. And I think that's the thing I always want to pay attention to is like, sure. It's like this ethic of just like, you're going to know a tree by its fruit, which I apply to almost every sort of like question. Is sure. Like, where do I see goodness happening for people? I I said this for somebody else too recently. It's like the same thing you said, like we cannot be more loyal to a teaching or an institution than the people who are a part of it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's right. And um, also, um, when also I think there's this, this thing about um, people have been, in some ways so disempowered Mm -hmm. by the church that it's a real process to even know what you want or who you are or what Mm, suits you. Because a lot of us were told for a very long time, you can't trust yourself. Yes. Like literally Uh, told that your body is, uh, your flesh is weak. That's right. And you, you can't trust what you want, you know, and Mm -hmm. boy, it's like, whew. Now, ironically um i think that it's important to always keep a a fairly low anthropology intact right so i i also don't think oh we should just completely trust all of our instincts and all of our desires because i actually think that i do believe in the state of human sin that that there is as uh, Simeon Zoll would say, there's a reason why the system keeps throwing up errors. You know, there's some sort of flaw in the human, or as Francis Spufford said, the, you know, he calls sin the human propensity to fuck things up. And so the more I've, I've been really obsessed with uh, studying cognitive bias and Mm. with studying 
um, self-justification right. and uh, dissonance theory and stuff like that. So that, um, you know, we are, we have this amazing ability to tell ourselves the story we need to hear to, to, to have the thing we want and to still feel like we're good people. So, right. you know, for me, it's also uh, one of the things in progressive uh, circles that I just can't stand mm -hmm. is that they have such a high anthropology mm. and, and they, I mean, I think sometimes in progressive circles that we are not sufficiently suspicious of ourselves and right. our motives because we're so like, high self-esteem, you're awesome, you're perfect the way you are, all that stuff's great, but it has to be balanced with the actual truth, mm -hmm. <laughs> which is we have this human propensity to fuck things up and to hurt ourselves and other people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think there's also just like it, the... I think it, I think it goes back to the question of or like the conversation we have about having around boundaries, where we want so much to create every space to be as safe as possible and it just, it can't work out that way because what is safe for one person um, is not going to be safe for others. And if you just say, you can't sit with us because you don't believe the same way, or if you don't mm -hmm. have the same sexual ethic, mm -hmm. then, you know, like eventually we're all going to be sitting by ourselves. Yeah. Um, and well, one thing I, I learned from my friends at the moth um, I've been doing, I did a, I've been doing this storytelling workshop in the women's prison here on Tuesday nights. And, and mm -hmm. my friends at the moth taught me that, uh, you can't actually promise any anyone a safe space because mm -hmm. we are so different. But we can all have a commitment for it to be a brave space. Come on, Mickey and Scott Bay Jones. I like that. Who? Oh, have you? Okay, so Mickey Scott Bay Jones. She yeah. works for a Faith Matters Network. She has this whole yeah, litany yeah. she wrote called The Invitation to Brave Space. Oh, my gosh. And so before any workshop that she oh. does, she invites people into Brave Space where she even says she's like, we have the responsibility. We have the right to start somewhere and to grow. We have the responsibility to examine what we think that we know. It will not Aww. be perfect. This space will not be perfect, but it will be our space, and we will work on it side by side. Oh, I love that. Well, she's so great. Like I, I'm not even vaguely surprised that she would do something like that. Honestly. That's amazing. I love that. I love that everyone has the right to start somewhere and mm -hmm. grow. It's like. Could we have more, a little grace in progressive spaces on Twitter and stuff? I mean, the instant instinct to slaughter someone for the, for an error is just vicious. And I'll say like, <clears throat> I'm not perfect at it. Like I've, I think maybe in the past six months I've noticed, I've noticed myself composing like a really vicious response. I'm like, actually... This person is not worth my energy or my time because yeah, I used to yeah. be the person to respond to all of the bullshit and like yeah. all the trolls. But then at the end of the day, like that cost me time, that cost me energy, and I can't get that back. Yeah, it's and not theirs. Yeah, yeah, it's much, it's it's much more effective to like, you know, I'll whoever's going to find my work is get, finds it helpful. They're going to find it. Like obviously, yeah. right. I actually had this conversation with something else. And I think it's something you said. It's like, I'm not your, pa I'm not everybody's pastor. Because mm -hmm. um, yeah. like, I realized like with certain people I interact with where like, I want them like, you know, queer folks who are working through their, um, their, can I be gay and Christian question? Yeah. I, I have to remember, like, I am so far beyond that, that like, I used to be sitting exactly where they are. Or sure. I, I look at someone like my mother who is, uh, yeah. I wouldn't call her an ally. She loves right. me, but like, she doesn't say all the right things, but I'm not going to like, sure you know, put her up on the guillotine just because, you know, yeah. she doesn't sure. know the lingo. It's right. uh, but yeah, I, I, I it's, noticed that among progressives. It's it's it's, it's 
cut yeah it's just an, a different form of a sort of um enforcing a purity system you know yeah. so yeah i mean i sometimes i'm i'm like oh my god being progressive on social media is like a really poorly designed video game in which you never engage the other team. You just get ranking points by pointing out why your teammates are wrong. Right. Then you get a rank. Oh, I mean, that's what, oh, shit. that's what the function is when people do that, that calling yeah. out shit, you know, was- it's like, is that you get a ranking point. If, you know, if, if there's somebody who people think is great and you get to point out something that, that is that where they're wrong you get a ranking point well mm. congratulations but i mean is that really the work we're about good lord <laughs> god like this was this is like i don't know if you saw like uh progressive queer twitter and evangelical twitter like got mad at qcf the other like two days ago mm. and it, and no it was, i didn't see that oh my god consider yourself like i did the dumb thing of like trying to be someone who's reasonable like affirming the hurt while also saying you know blah 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 but like it it was it was that whole thing and like i had friends of mine who like i got called out for stuff and i'm just like the thing is just like you like we are on the same side a and b sides are an illusion anyways (laughs) like like i get it yes we have to speak out against injustice but at the same time like you have to realize like god loves that person yeah and like i i know that like sounds so cheesy christian but like sometimes i'm a cheesy christian yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah it's yeah. it's interesting so this this book that's coming towards people like if you were to say like like what can people expect from this this book or what, what are you hoping happens as a result of this book um i guess i'm hoping that people will feel less alone that mm-hmm. maybe they'll hear their story in one of my stories or one of the other stories in the book and we'll see that hey there's another there's so many ways to be faithful you know mm-hmm. that um that that they're not alone in their experience mm-hmm. and also that they could um i want people to have better sex too yes mama <laughs> I, want, I want people to feel uninhibited in their with their lover mm. and to lose themselves in that and um you know i think christianity has led to a lot of really bad sex and a lot of people shut down and not connected to their bodies and and terrified to talk about sex with their partner Mm -hmm. even Mm -hmm. and shy with their spouse i mean oh god you are honestly describing the first part of my last relationship yeah it's really hard i mean i was in it that was me so I, I get it. And um, yeah, I mean, I guess that's, that's my sort of hope for this. And, and I have a huge hope that there will be a hundred other books like it from other social locations, you know, mm-hmm. that people will be writing their own stories more and more. Because mm-hmm. um, I feel like I barely cleared my throat. There's so much okay. to say, you know, so, and like, um, all it is is my stories and the ones that were shared with me in one parish in Denver, very limited, right? Yeah. So um, I I want to hear what this type of thing looks like in a lot of different contexts and social mm-hmm. locations. So I'm hoping, you know, for more and more of that. I can't wait. Um, my friend Matthias Roberts, um, 
he wrote or he's in the process of writing his first book and it's on this particular topic about how diving deeper into our sexuality is the thing that leads towards more self-love better quality of life etc yeah um and then hopefully after my my i want my second book to be on queer sex and Mm. like i want to i want to call it um gay sex is awesome (laughs) and because i also want to put that on a shirt because i think that more people (laughs) um i think that would sell you know take that around every pride festival you know make a cool thousand bucks (laughs) i think we can do it um can i ask you the shifting gears ever so slightly again um about from someone who is a more mature Enneagram eight to someone who is a younger eight, meaning mm-hmm. myself. Um, quite, like I know that like our thing is rediscovering our innocence and, or uh, what do they call it? Like it's rediscovering our innocence and realizing that like we, we are safe. Yeah. Um, what, at least like from, since I've been following you since, you know, your career and whatnot, like, I think I've noticed the same thing you shared was that like you've become a softer individual, someone who is like not so, I don't know. You feel, you feel warm and I like you. Yeah. Yeah. And (laughs) I think that like, there's a part of my story that I'm still super defensive about. And like, I have this propensity to just knee jerk reaction, go to anger with Mm -hmm. individuals. Like, how, what was the shift for you? Like, what were the things mm. in your life that were happening that kind of led you towards this ma- mm. quote unquote maturing, whatever that means? Boy. And if that's too deep of a question, we can like talk about. No, I think nails. it's fine. It's just, I've, I'm trying to think how to even, where to even start. But I think I've been, I've become really interested in compassion but not as a virtue. Like if somebody said, oh, there's this really great book on compassion you should read. I'm like, fuck that. I mean, (laughs) you know, some warm, fluffy virtue where you can sort of transcend the fact that people are horrible shitheads and Mm. think loving thoughts about them. You know, I'm like, fuck, I can't do it, right? I'm not even interested in adopting virtues, you know? Mm -hmm. Also, I think it just creates situations where people have to pretend to be virtuous, even if they're not. So it feels like a setup. Anyway, but now I'm really interested in compassion uh, in terms of what is the effect of it that I'm interested in? Like, what effect has compassion had on me? Like, if I feel like somebody really is in a space of compassion towards me, what effect does that have on my body, on my reactions, on, um, you know, on how hard I am or how soft I am? Right. And so, um, you know, this is, this is, this, you know, I just feel like this world is not safe, you know, and I'm constantly having to defend myself and protect myself. I mean, mm-hmm. I am coming up with defenses in my brain to any attack that might be coming my way. I mean, from a stranger in the elevator, I mean, every, like, I am always convinced that people are going to come after me. You? Not like physically, but, um, you know, it's just weird. Right. So, I mean, I have that same sort of like weird fantasy. I'm just like, I honestly think I could any, at any given moment, someone could come out of the woodwork and just like knife me or shoot me like that's Yeah. I mean, I don't feel that in a physical way. I mean, in a like emotional way or in a, 
like, it's hard to explain. I mean, I just am always thinking people are mad at me about something. Anyway, mm. so anyway, so I'm thinking about compassion a lot. And um, I have tried to think what would it like if I'm if there's somebody in my life or even just a another person in the world like what would it look like I don't I don't have to be compassionate towards them but I ask myself what would it look like if I were right mm -hmm. how would it feel in my body if I had compassion for this person and their whole story not just the one thing I'm reacting to and I mean I think I've learned a lot from the women in the prison because they're, they have long, complex stories, and society only cares about this law they broke, and then they put them away to punish them. Society didn't seem to give a shit about the fact that two meth addicts were allowed to raise this child, right? Mm -hmm. Like, they just care about the law. And so um, we all are carrying, like, such complicated stories, and we have these we have these original wounds that we're trying to protect or heal or pretend aren't there or make up for. And so I think one of the things that's been the most helpful is when can I find how do I find a space of compassion for people who I want to just hate? Mm. And it doesn't excuse the behavior, but it changes something in my body and in my spirit when I do it. Now, it doesn't mean I live in it, but it's a practice. And so I think in self-compassion is very difficult. I'm my worst critic, you know. I, I'm the only one who knows I could have done better. You know what I mean? Like right. other people can be like, oh, you did great. Well, I know I could, right? And so- yeah, I gave a talk one time. I totally fucked it up. And they're just like, Kevin, you were fine. I'm just like, no, I wasn't, Barbara. Oh, oh, it's brutal. It's mm -hmm. brutal. So um, so I think that's one of the things that's allowed me to soften is to figure out where's a space of compassion for myself mm -hmm. and where's a space of compassion for other people. And to kind of, I mean, that's, that's how grace works, right? right? And right, right, so- right. Um, yeah, nobody's ever only one thing, you know? Mm -hmm. So when I'm reacting to something, it's usually one thing in a right. person and there are more than that. Mm. So I guess that's been, that's been helpful for me. And you just can't beat like, I'm going to be 50 in a couple months. So Looking just 50 and fly as hell girl. Thank you. Um, but it's just, it just is time, you know, mm. it, it sort of wears, it wears us smooth, wears us down to something smoother, you know, mm. if we allow it to. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 <laughs> I know so much less than I used to is what it feels like. Like my spiritual director who've seen for a very long time, she's like, I kept saying the other day when we were meeting, I just, I said, I just feel really confused. And she goes, you have never used that word. <laughs> you have never used that word in this office mm. so like I've gone from being so confident and sure about everything to actually kind of being a little confused about stuff mm. um, that's a softer place you know I think the further I go along what's so interesting for me is that I've only been out of the closet for three years and I feel like I've lived three lifetimes it's like my mm maturity track was 
pushed into like high gear and I was like mm. a forced to mature because I had to figure out how to be an adult very quickly. And then yeah. at the same time, figure out sex and church and theology and yeah. like what my role in this whole thing was. So it's, yeah, uh, I feel very similarly. It's like, I, I feel like such a teen, like yeah. I'm pretty 30 in a year. Like I just yeah. turned 29, but, and I feel, I look at some of my friends from college who are same age as me, same age bracket. They're married and they have baby. I look at my little brother. He's had a baby. He had he built a house in Denver. Like, and I'm mm. over here, like $20,000 in commercial credit card debt, trying to launch a small business, going to seminary, like, and sometimes I'm just, I'm, I'm now at this place. I'm just like, I don't care if I'm right anymore. Like, yeah. I just, I yeah. Just, I'm like, if I, I just want to figure out like what's going to make me happy and what's going to help other people thrive. Yeah. That's yeah. And also hopefully we are all sort of growing and changing that, you know, like Mickey said, like we're all allowed to start somewhere and learn, you know, and um, to not get too attached. I think I've just tried to not be too attached. I mean, there are things I've written, I wrote in books that like, I'm like, I don't even know if I believe that anymore. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. like, like it's humbling, you know, to to realize, oh, I was so certain about these cert- these ideas, and I'm less certain now, mm-hmm. you know. I think that's, I think that is being a Christian. If if like you're actually mm. paying attention to your own mm. experiences, just like I yeah. keep I keep bumping into where I think God is or where, where God stops, and it just turns out like it's not a wall; it's like a curtain, and there's like just more beyond it. So like. It, always more mystery, always more love, always drawing the fucking circle wider. As my dear Presbyterian hymnal book says, I'm at a Presbyterian (laughs) seminary right now and I am not Presbyterian. Tell you what, they love John Calvin so much. I know. Yeah, it's funny. I, I'd i been in like Lutheran circles where like everyone's talking about Luther and all these Lutheran history things and the Lutheran theological identity and, and, uh, and the weird thing is, I didn't realize any other groups did that kind of thing. But I went <laughs> to this thing at Princeton, and they're all talking about a Presbyterian identity. And I'm like, what? Like, yeah. you guys have your own autonomous ideas about what you believe about the history of God? I'm like, a Presbyterian identity? What the hell? Go yeah, it was that. funny. Yeah. Like that. And, just, and then, like, there's that one. We have the, I also have a lot of Methodist friends. And, like, it's so funny because, like, I can mention like people who are like Methodist famous and people mm. who are like Presbyterian famous, people sure. who are famous <laughs> and then like post evangelical famous and like nobody yeah. knows about each other. I'm like, no, I know. Yeah. I'm yeah. Trying, to, trying to be in as many circles as possible. Well, it's really good to keep that perspective too, because mm-hmm. these, you know, this, this scene can be, is so small and like just really? to have like a little, for us all to have a little humility about that. Nobody, nobody in the real world knows these people or cares you know yeah. and so or knows who i am or cares you know it's like just i don't know it's just kind of nice in a lot of ways yeah i mean it's just a good perspective yeah until you go to a party and they ask you what you do right yeah <laughs> I, so i used to tell people on planes that i was a community organizer like i mean technically true yeah 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 yeah, I work um, for a nonprofit. I said that a few times. <laughs> yeah, that's what that's what my friend Miles says. And like, I was on. Oh my god, I was on my way to uh, hop a plane to Orlando for the TRP conference, mm-hmm. and 
I have like my face done. I always get dressed up to go to the airport because people treat you better if you're dressed up. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And so I was dressed up high femme with my face going on. And um, my Uber driver asked me what I did uh-huh. and like where I was headed. And I made the mistake of telling them I was going to this queer conference. And mm-hmm. this is like, so you're like, like, I'm just like gay. And he's like, yeah. And you're a Christian. And I'm like, Oh fuck, this is going to happen. Uh, isn't uh, it? Yeah. <laughs> about, like what the Bible says. And I'm like, yeah yeah uh yeah and anyways that's a probably another podcast for another time called things i tell my uber driver yes (laughs) um thank you for your time and sharing your heart and just i can i call you nadia or do you prefer reverend no i i prefer nadia i think you're really really a lovely woman a really really talented writer and speaker and i just uh thank you I admire you, and I'm glad that we've got to spend time together. Um, it's been, it's also been lovely, like running into you, like all these like weird public events and weddings, and yeah, yeah. You're mm. a really good dancer, by the way. Too. Oh my god, I love that you said that. Thank you. You really are, <laughs> no. You're, you're like, I to... love your books, and like whatever. You're a good dancer. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that's a, that's a true. I think that's like maybe like a thing. I was like, oh my, people look at me as like, oh, I love your videos. I'm like, oh, okay. And it's like, just like, hey, I really liked it when you sang today. I'm just like, oh my god, thank you. <laughs> it's like we, I think maybe it's like something about just like I know that I'm good at that. I don't want you to notice that. I want you to notice the secret things that I'm not going to yes, tell you about. Yes, that's right. I love dancing. You know, um, I, I have a book tour in um, January, February, beginning of March, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it, it it's ending with dancing. Oh, hell to the yes. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, look, we're going to do this. So mm. we will put on some dance songs and encourage people to get into their bodies and experience the pleasure of them, you know? I'm so ready for this. Yeah. I'll see you when you get to Atlanta. I'm really Yeah, oh my God, Atlanta's going to be greatest with Nichelle Goodry. Oh! There's another speaker. Yeah, there's another speaker at each stop. Uh. Just somebody who has a different sort of social location than I do. Uh, to sort of talk about their experience so it'll be Nichelle and I think maybe my boo will be oh my god Uh, I know I will melt into a thousand pieces he is so sexy I mean look I I I'm so (laughs) so in love with this man we've been together for like almost two and a half years and like when we're in public, I just, I'm like, I just, I'm like, I'm pretty sure every woman in this room totally has the hots for him. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just sure, like, they all feel the way I do about him. I'm like, look at him. How could you not just be going mad for this guy? Yeah, listen, I'm, like, just the way that you talked about him, I'm going mad for him. And I've always been like, and I'm like, Ugh. I know. Yeah, no. in my body that there's part of me. I don't wonderful. know if I'm ever going to get married one day, but I want to, I do want to fall in love. I think that'd be a delightful time. Yeah. It's, it's messy. Mm. It's messy and it's vulnerable and it's wonderful. Mm. And yeah. Yeah. I'm grateful. And then sometimes I'm in a puddle of tears, you know, classic. So, well, yeah. when I get into a relationship, <laughs> I'll, I'll call you up and cry on the phone or something like that. Oh my God. I have a couple of people. That's all I do. They're such good friends. <laughs> no, I do too. Like we all have that one friend. We're just like, I can, I know if I call this person, they're going to pick up the phone and I can just yell yeah. about anything. Yeah. 
Right? Yeah, for sure. Well, I uh, I can't wait to get to Atlanta. I think it's going to be a fun time. You, me, Nichelle, let's go get coffee, tea. Sounds geeky. good. Um, can you please tell humans on the internet where they can find your work and like tweet at you and like when your book goes on sale and shit? Yeah, let's see. Shameless is on sale January 29th. Uh, I'm doing a 13 city tour. If they, if you still have purity rings, please mail them in. Oh yeah, because uh, you you're can making find them that... into a vagina. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm melting them into a vagina, a sculpture of a vagina. So we're collecting them for the next couple of weeks. When does this air? Um, it can be out as quickly as you want it next week. Okay, great. So, um, if if people go to NadiaBoltzWeber.com. There's a, at the bottom of the homepage, you can click on something about the Purity Ring Project. Mm. So that's going to be great. And yeah, I'm on Twitter and mostly Twitter and Instagram. I don't do much Facebook. So. Sick. Well, I like you. I think you're a Thank lovely you. human. I, I like uh, you too. Can't wait to see you in, a, in another wherever we end up together. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure it'll be soon. All right, baby. All right. Hey, much love to you. You too, babe. That was my conversation with Nadia Boltzweber. You can get in touch with her uh, all over the internet at Sarcastic Lutheran is her handle in most spaces. Uh, search Nadia Boltzweber. You can find her website on the Googles. And be sure to pre-order Shameless, A Sexual Reformation, hitting stores everywhere on the 29th of January. Uh, Nadia, thank you so much for spending time with me. It was an incredible, incredible experience. And I can't wait to talk to you again. A Tiny Revolution is supported by 144 amazing humans on Patreon. If you don't know what Patreon is, it is a way for you to support the creatives in your life that are making the content that matters. So if you think conversations like this are important, if you want more progressive and uh, more open-minded and more exciting, like better conversations about faith and sexuality and gender injustice, if you want more of that, you can go to patreon.com and become a supporting partner. There's a lot of amazing things that are also hitting uh, my for my patrons today. And you can either become a sustaining partner today or when you listen, because you'll be able to get instant access to everything once you become a patron. Um, we've got the meditations uh, that have, should have been out a month ago, but, you know, holidays and finals happen at the same time for me. But the meditations are now live on Patreon. So to all my patrons, you can go download those, though, and get your Zen on for the new year. Um, we've also got the podcast Decent Advice, which you've got the, you know, a public version. And then you've got, like, the after show happening on my podcast so if you want all of that goodness go over to patreon.com learn how you can become a sustaining partner get plugged in with the most amazing people or even score some free shirts from my new line queerly beloved and once again uh go check out queerly beloved online um look for our kickstarter and seriously back the kickstarter get yourself a free shirt like what's better than that nothing nothing's better than that I am so thrilled for 2019 to continue creating with you. So thank you to everyone who has supported me thus far and to everyone who's going to be doing this in the future with us. Um, I think that's everything. So until next time, my BBs, go ahead and go, you know, set up that appointment with your therapist, eat something really yummy, drink some water, move your body, take your meds. Um, and also go watch Bird Box on Netflix. It's my personal favorite right now. It was super duper scary, but I'm into that sort of thing now, I think. 
Maybe not. I don't know. Scary movies are growing on me, which I never thought I'd ever say, but they're kind of growing on me. Not the gross ones. Anyways, uh, this has been another episode of A Tiny Revolution. My name is Kevin Garcia, and I'll talk to you next week, babe. Bye.